0: So, uh, if you were here last week, uh, you'll know that uh, we have started on a new sermon series. Uh, we are going through 1 Thessalonians, and which we've called the Hope Factor. And last week, Pastor Jonathan had a great uh, message uh, calling us to turn from idols uh, and to have our lives and our hopes set on Jesus. And so today, uh, I'm going to continue to, uh, we're going to continue to explore uh, the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to explore having our hope set on Christ, and I want to start by talking about ourselves and our self-focused lives, which, which I think is a, it's an easy place to start, because I think actually we're all pretty good at being self-focused. I think it's think something we can, all, we can all relate to. Um, you know, I I know I know I certainly can. Uh if you don't, please don't judge me too hard. Um but uh you know, I can, for example, uh, I can tend to be a bit of a people pleaser. And um and and well, which is and which is why if you make it through to the end of the sermon, you will receive a lollipop. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't go looking for one. Um, <laughs> uh, but, if, you know, with being a people-pleaser, you, you might say, well, that's not really a big deal, right? There's like, Is that really self-focused? Because isn't people-pleasing, isn't that really about others? Well, not really. Um, I think that people-pleasing is more about ourselves than it is about others. Usually, my temptation to, to please people comes from a place of wanting to be liked and to fit in which is pretty self interested isn 't it um, and it's you know it's it 's a useful thing it 's taught me skills to connect with people uh, and lots of times you know when we please people those people can have fun and they can feel appreciated uh, and so those are those are nice things but it can also interfere with loving people for their benefit, uh, for for loving others uh, in a way that is wholly truthful. Um, see, when I when I operate out of a out of a people pleasing heart, I come to a crossroad eventually where, if someone asks me a hard question about following Jesus, I notice a temptation and the temptation is to hold back from saying the whole truth or from saying a hard thing because i'm afraid of how the person will respond and i'm afraid of how that will affect my relationship with them what if what if they don't like me if i if i say a hard thing and so that's that's actually pretty selfish because if i go if i end up going that route uh I end up choosing to bring people to myself instead of bringing them to Jesus. I'm choosing to trust myself instead of trusting Jesus and if as if as if I somehow have a better gospel than Jesus or if I can somehow improve upon the gospel. If uh if I'm somehow more trustworthy than God. I mean like that's wild to say out loud right um you're like oh yeah of course that's not true but you can but you can see how evil that gets was when we delve down the rabbit hole of people pleasing it really it really exposes evil in my heart doesn't it and as you as we extend that out to sharing the gospel and to making disciples uh now i could end up holding back out of fear of what someone might think of me or, or how they might not like me. And so then rather, uh, rather than caring enough about them to say, to say the truthful thing, I, I hold back. And so my love for self holds me and it holds others back, which is really, which is really quite sad. And, and this is the kind of problem that Paul is addressing in our passage today. That, that if we have our eyes fixed on ourselves instead of upon God, if we place our hope in ourselves rather than upon God, we are unable to properly love and care for and disciple others. So we're going to read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 12. And uh, so you can, you can open your Bibles if, uh, if you like, or you can uh, follow along on screen. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 to 12. And this is the Apostle Paul writing. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. As uh, As this passage starts, Paul seems to be responding to something, doesn't he? He doesn't He doesn't directly name it but but the, it kind of starts as a bit of a defense of, of his of his ministry while he was in Thessalonica uh, and this and this this defense it also serves as a model for setting our hopes and our hearts on Jesus and and the dangers that that can come about if we fail to do so and so Paul starts. Uh, He indicates indicates the difficulty that they'd faced uh, in in Philippi before arriving in Thessalonica, the the, the challenges they faced there. And he's he's establishing a pattern of not walking in selfish motives. And then then he spells out the the selfish motives to be aware of and, and and these selfish motives that actually it seems some might even have been accusing him of. Um, for that he might have been living out during his time in Thessalonica, and so he addresses these things and and these these uh, selfish motives. There's there are three things. Uh, the first is flattery, uh, this the uh, the attempts to please people in how the gospel is being shared, and so to 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 fl- to, to flatter people. Um, the second is greed, uh, trying to profit out of sharing the gospel, and the third is seeking praise from people, looking, uh, looking to draw people uh, to, uh, to ourselves rather than to the gospel. Fortunately, you all are way too sharp to fall for any of these things, right? You would spot those a mile away, and that's flattery. <laughs> it happens so easily, doesn't it? But these are the things that Paul is adamant that they haven't done And these are the things that we need to be aware of as we live as disciples and disciple others, as we love and care for others. And it raises the question of, what is behind these actions of flattery and of greed and of seeking praise? Well, these are the results of being self-seeking, aren't they? The result of being selfish, of being most concerned for ourselves. Like we talked about before, on one hand, it's, it's a natural state. Um, we have a bit of a survival thing going on or something, right? We, we like to look after ourselves. Uh, people tend to be inherently self-seeking or self-loving. This is why Jesus can say, love others as you love yourself. Loving yourself is implicit. Loving ourselves is is something that we just generally do. But if we don't have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will continue in self-seeking patterns, even as we claim to follow him. When he is not our hope factor, we will continue in selfishness. When he is not the one that we set our hope and our sights on, we have a tendency to keep our eyes fixed on ourselves, And our own self interest. When Jesus is not our ultimate hope, when we don't trust that He has our best interests at heart, then we look out for our own interests and we look to fill ourselves in other ways. And one of the key ways that we seek to fill ourselves is to try to draw others to ourselves to our own benefit. We end up using people to fill the inadequacy that we feel. We make up for that lack that we feel in ourselves, and we we place we place them as the hope to fulfill us, and we place ourselves as the hope to fulfill them. Both of these are wildly selfish, and they both fall short of the truth. Uh, and we and those that we are discipling, if we live this way, end up more lost than when we started. Um, I remember in my teens, uh, and maybe some of you will remember this person, um, there, was this, there was an inspiring Christian speaker who was, who was very famous going around. His name was Mike Warnke. Uh, and he was, he was a very charismatic speaker. He would go around telling people his inspiring story of how he'd left Satanism to follow Christ. It was very exciting. He came to Abbotsford, where I lived, and, and spoke. And, and it was all the Christians there, uh, who, of whom there were many, uh, could talk about for, for months. Uh, it, was, it was very exciting. And people came, and they gave him support for his ministry. And then the truth came out. That he'd made the whole thing up. That he was collecting hundreds, and thou- hundreds of thousands in gains from this ministry based on lies that he'd either embellished or made up entirely. His life and his ministry had become about flattery, about seeking praise, and about greed. And, and then the people who followed him were left with questions of, well, if it was all a sham, does that mean my faith is a sham now? What, what about the people that gave their lives to Christ because of his self-seeking approach to discipleship? It's really sad. Uh, and we have more recent examples in, in Ravi Zacharias and in Bill Hybels and Bruxy Cavey. And maybe they didn't start. Maybe he didn't start as self-seeking for them but in but in somewhere along the way giving into that in the end ministries were destroyed churches were destroyed the lives of lives of people were destroyed and and even the faith of many people was destroyed it's it's really sad and really sobering and it shows us that the integrity of our lives matters The integrity of our faith matters. The integrity of our hearts and our motives matter. If our eyes are fixed too low, if our eyes are fixed on ourselves, if our hope is set in us doing well instead of in Jesus, then the extent of damage will run at least the length of our influence, if not more. This is why it's more important to have godly character than influence. It's better to have godly character and low influence rather than having high influence and poor character. I think this is, this is why it's so hard when, when someone who's famous comes to faith. They already have such high influence influence. Uh, but they haven't been discipled yet. And so then they just make all of their public mistakes in front of everybody. And, and they get called out for it in public, and it's super hard, and some of them end up, uh, end up leaving faith even. It's, it, it's so difficult for them because their influence starts so high. The integrity of our lives matters. And we get there by having a better hope by fixing our hearts and our hope on God instead of on ourselves. When we fix our hope in God, we are able to minister out of an abundance of love and care that is concerned more for others than it is for ourselves. Uh, I like to think of this as the Jesus way of doing things. Uh, Maybe you remember they used to have WWJD bracelets um, on a wrist, what would Jesus do back in the day? Uh, this is what Jesus would do. In John chapter 5:19, Jesus says, "The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does." How did Jesus live? With his eyes fixed, not on himself but on his father in heaven. He more than anyone could have fixed his eyes on himself. And he didn't do that. He fixed his eyes on God. And he did what he saw his father doing. He joined his father in what his father was doing, not his own plans, not his eyes fixed on himself, but his eyes fixed on his father. And this is the hope that Paul is calling us to, because when our hope is fixed on God, rather than ourselves, we are able to live and to love and to care for others out of the abundance of the Father, rather than the empty wells of ourself. And Paul gives three ways for how this is expressed. And he, he illustrates uh, this, these hope-filled expressions with the picture of a child and of a mother and of a Father. So the first way that Paul illustrates ministering with our hope fixed on God is as a child. When we operate out of selfish motives, we seek to gather and to assert our own authority, or the authority that we've that we've gained through through gathering people to ourselves. Right? We think that, well, if a thousand people stand behind me, then that must give me a strong sense of authority, right? Like, this is why, like on Instagram, you have a lot of followers, right? It's like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty important now. I must have a lot of authority. But Paul says, we were like young children among you. Children don't really have their own authority, do they? The only authority they might have is that of their parents. And that's only true so long as they accurately represent their parents. So if I send my kids to school with a note excusing them 15 minutes early from class, that authority only extends as far as leaving 15 minutes early from class. They can only do what I've authorized them to do, no more... And no less. Such is the authority we have with our hope set on Jesus. Paul says, we are not trying to please people, but God. And he says, we speak as those approved by God. He wasn't trying to operate out of his own authority. He and his companions were operating only out of the authority given to them by God. And like a child, that authority only extends as far as they accurately represent their father in heaven. And so they sought to please God rather than people, to represent God rather than gain influence or favor from people. Their hope was fixed on God rather than on themselves. That's a remarkable statement, isn't it? That to say, to say that we're going to operate out of hope and trust in God, and so we're going to try to please God rather than people, because that's that's not a, that's not our natural inclination. That's uh, that's that's I think that's counterintuitive for us uh, to to set our hope and our trust on someone other than ourselves. It's countercultural even. But but when we but when we do. Then we walk when we walk in, in, in God's authority and, and we walk in his goodness and his love because, because God is is love and because he's kind and generous and truthful and gentle and powerful and good, that then the way we operate and care for people will actually end up being far better than it would have if we operated out of our own authority. Because the goodness of God is better than the goodness of Tim, isn't it? Can I get an amen? <laughs> but we're tempted, aren't we, to believe that our goodness is better than God's sometimes, aren't we? It's so then we think to add or to tweak or to adjust the gospel just a little bit to what we think might be good or what we think might be best. And when we do, we're choosing to draw people to ourselves rather than God. We're choosing to please people rather than God. we're, we're, we're saying we're better than God or we know better than God. And to that, Paul says, no, we're not going to operate that way. We're called to operate as children. We operate under the authority of God or we have no authority to operate or to share the gospel or to make disciples. We operate as children under their father in heaven. And so we keep our eyes fixed on him. He is our hope and he is our authority, which only extends as far as we remain in him. The second illustration Paul uses to minister with our hope set on Christ is as a nursing mother. I know you're thinking, what? It's not even Mother's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jonathan. Um, But it's a powerful picture uh, of a nursing mother. It's a powerful picture he uses to contrast the difference between selfish greed and gain, because a nursing mother lives her life for the benefit of her child, not for her own benefit, not for her own gain, but for the benefit of her child. A nursing mother can't rely on a child because the child's like this, like it's this big, like, like they, like the child, like they can't support a full-grown human being um, in any way. Uh, and so, so nursing mother can't, you know, get. Have be greedier. Have gained because of that. Because it's not possible for the child to support her, and and she can't be a burden to the child, because uh, because the child is too small to accept burdens. The, and so, <laughs> sorry, I'm laughing too hard. Uh, <laughs> But instead, the nursing mother bears the burden for her child, working day and night to nurture and to benefit her child so that her child will grow to be strong one day. And this is the picture that Paul chooses to express. It's how, how contrary to personal gain, that, that he and his companions, they poured out their lives and worked not only to avoid being a burden to the Thessalonians, but actually to be a blessing to them. And this is the picture that God calls us to in our own disciple-making, what he calls us to as we love and care for others, to, to pour ourselves out, even as a nursing mother does for her child to work not to be a burden but to be a blessing to those we are discipling and those we are caring for. And does it sound hard to pour out our lives for the sake of another? You bet it does. That sounds super hard, doesn't it? And if you've done it, you'll know how challenging and tiring it can be. How sometimes you you wonder if it's all worth it um, you wonder if you should, sometimes if you, if you should just give up, you wonder, is this really what God has called me to? And, and, you, and, and, some, and sometimes we, we, you might struggle because someone you're discipling or caring for, maybe they don't seem to appreciate how much you've given up to pour yourself up for them like this. And you'll never make it if you try to do it on your own strength. You'll never make it if your eyes become fixed again on yourself and on how hard it is. The only way we'll make it is if we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. The only way we make it is if Jesus is our source of nurture while we nurture others. He is our source of love while we love others. Our spiritual mothering will only go as far as we are connected to Jesus our source of love. And the final way that Paul illustrates ministering with our hopes set on Christ is as a father. What? And it's not even Father's Day. (laughs) Contrary to the concern for flattery, most dads tend not to flatter their kids, do they? But good dads will encourage their kids with a healthy mix of cheering and challenge to help them to persevere, good dads will both comfort and urge their kids, knowing when to show compassion and comfort and when to urge them forward to persevere through hard things and difficult situations so that their kids will have the fortitude to handle the hard things to come. But as a spiritual father, Paul isn't simply urging them uh, to be able to handle hard things. But to live lives worthy of God, which is the same thing Paul was striving for to please God and not people. As spiritual fathers discipling others, we are encouraging and inviting others to follow Jesus even as we are following him, to live lives worthy of God even as we strive to live lives worthy of God, which is again. Why integrity in our lives of faith is so important? Because those we disciple will model and imitate uh, and reflect what they see in us. So live lives worthy in response to God so that others may do so as well. And again, the only way we can do this is by keeping our eyes fixed on God, fixed on our hope in him. Our spiritual fathering can only go as far as we are connected to and empowered by Jesus. And the, the worship team can come forward. <clears throat> um, you know, and, and I'll be honest here. Uh, these, these all sound like hard things, don't they? I don't know about personal gain because I'm not really very good at making money, but... <laughs> Thanks for that. But, but flattery and people-pleasing uh, so that people will like me sounds easier than pouring out our lives for, for, the, for the love of others. That sounds harder. It feels counterintuitive and it, it feels like work to live our lives for the benefit of others, doesn't it? Almost like, like we can get tired just by the idea of it before we've even started. But again, I think that it's, it's all about where we have our eyes fixed. Because when we have our eyes fixed on ourselves and we become self-focused and selfish, um, then we we just start living for ourselves and it just becomes this hole that we just kind of like delve down into when we keep our eyes fixed on ourselves. And then living for God and others becomes super hard. But when our eyes are fixed on our hope in Jesus, then suddenly everything becomes possible. You will remember when Peter was, was walking on water, it was when he took his eyes Off of the one who was his hope, that he began to sink. But as long as his eyes were up, as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, all things were possible. He could walk on water. We can't love and disciple others on our own strength, it's not possible. We can't do it in our own way. We can only do it by God's authority and by his love, and by his empowering spirit. And that only happens when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So where are your eyes fixed on? What is your hope set on today? And will you lift your eyes to Jesus so that you can love others even as he does? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you invite us to take our eyes off of ourselves. That that even, even though we might be afraid to, you invite us to do so because you know that when we have our eyes fixed on you, that is better for us than having our eyes fixed on ourselves. And it is better for those around us that we love and care for, for those that we're discipling, when we have our eyes fixed on you. And Father, you, you know that that could be hard for us sometimes. So, Lord, we need your empowering spirit to fill us, to lift our eyes so that, we, so that we don't take our eyes off of you, so that we're able to live lives to please you and to not please people. So, Lord, would you, would you fill us again with your spirit? Would you draw our eyes to you would you show us the ways that we keep our eyes fixed on ourselves and, Lord, help us to, to say no to that and to, and to again lift our eyes and to see you and to remain fixed on you, Lord. Yeah. Lord, give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you and courage to walk forward.